This is the Church Security Made Simple podcast, giving leaders practical solutions to help make your community safer. I'm your host, Simon Osmo, and I'm on a mission to keep his churches safe. Now, it's been over 10 years since the Lord called me into security ministry, and as a national church safety practitioner supporting churches across the country, I'll share my expertise to give you simple solutions to keep your church safe. So if you're ready to make your church security simple, come join me and let's dive into this week's episode as we learn how to plan, prepare and protect our ministries. In today's podcast episode, I'm talking with Chris Maloney, the founder of Sheepdog Church Security. Now, in recent years, the church security market has exploded. But when I first started out over a decade ago, you searched church security in Google and you found one or two hits. And I consider Chris to be one of the pioneers. Now, he's not only one of the industry leaders, but someone that I look up to and respect. And interestingly, Chris only lives around 15 to 20 miles from me. And I love it when we get together, collaborate and discuss the State of the Union when it comes to church security. So this interview shares some of Chris's knowledge on church safety and security but he also opens up about his family life, his upbringing and his journey into security ministry. But before we dive into the episode, I want to tell you about the sponsor of this series, Bullis Insurance. Now, Bullis Insurance are based here in Minnesota, but serve churches, nonprofits, and companies across the country, teaching them how to manage and mitigate risk. And I've known Mark Bullis, the owner, for coming up to a decade, and they are my personal insurers of my business. So if you are looking to make sure that you have the right coverage or want to look at insurance in a new way, reach out to Mark and his team. You'll find the link below in the show notes. Now, without further ado, let's take a listen to my conversation with Chris Maloney, the founder of Sheepdog Church Security. Well, Chris, really excited for you to join me today. I know we've been friends for a while. It's really great when we get together and have these conversations. And I'll say for people that don't know who you are and in the church world, I'd be surprised with your large following, but you are the founder of Sheepdog Church Security. I recently saw you've, you've added Academy in there now, Chris. So the founder of Sheepdog Church Security Academy. You are a protector of the people and guardian of the church. You're a former police officer. You served in the military police. You served in the Army National Guard. Uh, and you are one of the pioneers of church security. So I'm really grateful for you taking the time to have this conversation with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, and when I was looking beforehand, Chris, I know we met around uh, a year ago, went out for lunch, and you had maybe 100,000 followers then or close to it on Facebook. And you're saying, Simon, I, I can feel it. I'm going to break over. I looked before this conversation, you now it's like 190,000 followers. <laughs> so I mean, in the church safety and security world, you are a, a formidable force and you're just blessing so many ministries with your knowledge and experience. I really thank you um, for that. But here's an interesting thing, Chris, that I'm sure a lot of people won't know is, well, how did Chris Mahoney um, come to faith? Yeah, so I, I guess my story kind of starts, you know, in my childhood in that um, even though I, I, I was raised in a broken home with lots of dysfunction in there, but we still did go to church on a semi-regular basis. I used to call it um, kind of like being in the National Guard of Christianity. You know, we went to, uh, you know, church one weekend a month and for two weeks out of the year, we lived like we are, acted like we were Christians. Um, and, but I, I think what God did during that time is he kind of planted a little bit of a seed. 
you know, that, that first planting of knowing that, you know, about Jesus dying for my sins. And um, I do remember at a very young age praying that Jesus would be the Lord of my life and those kind of things. But I don't think that I, I it, it can be kind of a little difficult for me to explain this because I really do think that God honored that at some level of a small child uh, making that prayer. However, it, it wasn't until I joined the army and went to Desert Storm. And as you've heard before, probably there are no atheists and foxholes. That's when I think God really, you know, grabbed hold of me and grabbed me tight. You know, that's when I think it, that was my adult decision to be a follower of Jesus and to live a certain way. So going to church, you know, praying, studying, uh, worshiping, you know, doing all those kind of things. And, um, you know, I, God's been a part of my life ever since. It's, uh, you know, good times, bad times. I mean, Desert Storm was in, you know, 91 and here we are 2021. It's 30 years of Christianity and, you know, God's been good. He's been faithful. There's been uh, good times. There's been bad times. There's been scary times. I've been to war twice. Um, that's part of the scary times. But yeah, that's that's basically how I became a Christian. I'm still a Christian today. Um, and uh, God has been, as you kind of pointed out with his calling on my life, he's been ridiculously generous and loving to me. And I like what you said there, Chris, because I think it reminded me of something that Dave Ramsey often says, the Christian financial guru, but, you know, he got to know or he knew God on the way up. He got to know him on the way down, you know, and I think <laughs> you, you mentioned 30 years of being a faith follower. That is definitely the way, you know, God is there for us at every um, every turn. So, you know, and that's interesting because I didn't know you from a, a broken home and had some adversity as a child, but how do you sort of tie into you joining? I mean, you've done so many things being, you know, served in the military, Army National Guard, uh, former police officer, you know, protector of a church. Where did your sort of compassion or heart for um, serving others come from? Because I imagine you mostly joined the military quite a young age, Chris, did you? Yeah, I joined right out of high school. I had known um, when I was man, probably eight or nine years old that I wanted to be a police officer. And I think there was something, you know, God kind of puts us on paths and or, you know, he puts something in us as he knits us in our mother's wound, womb. Um, he, I, I think he planted that there. Um, my mom has told me stories in the past where even as a very young child, you know, three, four, five years old, you know, I just hated to see another child cry. You know, so I, I think God really planted something into me to to be a protector, to have a heart for those that are suffering and hurting. And um, it's if there's a, if there's anything that's ever been kind of a constant theme in my life, it's exactly that. You know, joining the military. Um, I joined the military for you know many reasons. One, um, one of my dads um, was a, a former military. And I respected him a lot. And uh, and so I thought, okay, this is the thing to do. Because we were so poor, there was not going to be college money without Uncle Sugar or Uncle Sam, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the military. So, so yeah, you know, joining the military, that was, you know, kind of part of it. I believed in the mission and I, I still believe in the mission. Obviously, I love the United States, even though it has its flaws. I, I love this country. I think it's filled with great people that, um, you know, deserve our should be free and those kind of things. And then of course, when I joined the military, it was to be mil military police. 
So it's all part of the big plan, right? Wanting to be a cop since eight years old, joining the military because only the only the army will give a gun and a patrol car to an 18 year old um, <laughs> to be a cop. And so, uh, you know, I did that, you know, earned what I needed to earn and accomplish what I needed to accomplish so I could afford college. And uh, when I was in the military, I stepped right out of God blessed me again. I got an opportunity to go through the Huntsville Police Academy in Alabama while I was still an MP. And so when it was time to get out of the army, active duty army, Huntsville had their arms wide open. And um, I basically walked, you know, took off my green uniform and put on a blue uniform. And so became a real police officer, Chris. At, at that time, <laughs> yes, I remember getting together with some friends. They came to the house and uh, had my pistol belt laid out. And they were like, oh, man, I can't believe it. You finally made it. You know, what a great thing. So, yeah, I, I was very happy to become a quote unquote real police officer. It was awesome. And I know one of the things that I struggled with, I mean, my listeners will know, you know, I served 14 years in the British police and similar to you, you know, I'm 43 this year. So lifelong Christian, there's been times when I've been close to faith and there's been times when I've drifted, I think like like we all, all do. But what was quite hard, and we can sort of tie this into a church security world, is that there was an understanding by me that you are doing a very difficult role you're seeing a lot of human brokenness and it's very easy to either judge God and say, why are people in these positions or even become hardened to what the world has to offer? I mean, how did you find your time in law enforcement as a Christian? Did you ever see any conflict? Did you find it easy? Did you find it hard? You know, when you're seeing people in extreme brokenness, breaking laws, um, what, did it, what did it look like for you, that journey? Yeah, for me, um, because I, I, I started wanting to be a cop more than anything in the world, you can imagine that once I got there and I started doing the work, I was absolutely loving every minute of it. I was loving answering calls. I was loving um, being able to help people that were in distress. Um, but one of the things that I was not aware of is what was actually happening to my heart. And the way I like to describe it is this, is if you, if, if you imagine you had a needle and you, every time you go on a call and you see some suffering or some negativity, it's like a little poke, a poke, a scratch, poke, a scratch, poke, scratch. And in a place like Huntsville, um, and I worked on the north side of town. I mean, it was essentially called a call from 10 o'clock at night. I worked overnight shift 10 o'clock at night to about two, three, even four o'clock in the morning. It's called a call. So it's poking and scratching, poking and scratching. And what I didn't realize that was happening to me is my heart was becoming more and more calloused and becoming more and more hard. And, um, and it was in complete opposition to going to church, right? So I go to church and there's Chris, Christian Chris, if you will. And, and I'm living my life outside and, and participating in activities at the church. And of course, trying to live a Christian life at home with my wife. And, um, but I was being affected. Um, unfortunately, I don't have an answer to that problem because what ultimately happened for me, and I think it was an act of God is this, is he pulled me out of that job. And I actually had a season where I was not a police officer. And it was during that time where my heart was got started going through that softening period. It was softened again. It was reset, if you will, to a certain extent. Reset with some wisdom. 
And so when I went back into law enforcement later, I was aware of what, I guess I was aware of the danger in how I could act. You know, I think one of the important things here is this, is that when I started in law enforcement, a real cop, quote unquote, I was 25 years old and nothing against being 25, but um, you're not very wise at 25. This, you're wise in your own eyes, but you're not very wise. And I was not wise. Um, going back into law enforcement later with that experience, I was able to, like I said, navigate it with a little bit more wisdom. And also I I took a job in a very small town. So basically Mayberry. Sheep, you know. sheep rustling, as we say back in English. Stuff. But, but it's fascinating you say that because, you know, one of the things, you know, I can relate a lot to what you're saying. And I can recall that what I would say to friends and family would be, you do become very hard. You know, they talk about sort of cop humor, but you also, I used to say, you know, you save the ones that you can save. You know, once you realize that you can't save everyone, and I found myself recently saying this, my, my younger brother has just had his first child. He's a social worker in England, uh, works in sort of mental illness. And on his paternity leave, he's been called into work. You know, and my mum, to a degree, was almost defending him, saying he's got to go in. I said, mum, I said, he's been a social worker for a long time. He should realise by now he can only save the ones that he can save. You know, And mm. you do, you need that mentality. To survive, but you're right, it does harden does harden your your heart. But it's something that I think we see within security ministry as well, because the, the role could be challenged as to some people will be in denial, as in you don't need safety and security in the church. And it's really hard to understand how does the two, you know, where does it intersect between, you know, faith, Christianity and keeping people, people safe and sometimes what comes with that role. So um, interesting to get some of your perspective and, and background. So tell us, Krista, how did Sheepdog Church Security start then? So, you know, I know you've been doing this for a while. So how did you move from sort of law enforcement and military to being the sort of the protector of the people and the guardian of the church? I love that tagline, by the way. <laughs> Thank right. you. Yeah, so this this story really captures the verse, and I don't know the address of it, but the, the verse is basically this. Man plans his ways, but God guides his footsteps. So I, by the, just before I started to, um, to get into church security, I was actually, I, I completed my degree in, um, in ministry. I got a bachelor's degree in ministry. I was working through my degree in organizational leadership and I was pursuing what I, I thought I was pursuing. I was planning to become a chaplain. Like I'd be a police chaplain. I was still in the National Guard, you know, I'd be a, you know, start there, you know, become a chaplain in the National Guard, do it for law enforcement lady, maybe, maybe have a ministry for cops because I understood the the whole thing of your heart being scarred and a process that needs to be done in order to fix that. And so I was kind of focused on that. God, of course, had a completely different plan. Um, I was at church on a Wednesday night. And there was a new guy at the church. And, you know, after the sermon, um, people would go up and talk to the pastor. And so I go up to talk to the pastor, but somebody was there before me, a guy I never met before. Turned out he was a Carver County deputy. And he was talking to the pastor about how we should start some sort of security team. And my first thought was like so many other people. I was like, security, what in the heck is he talking about? Is he crazy? We don't need to do any of this. So I disregarded it because I'm, I, you know, God has to hit me over the head with a two by well, four sometimes. It's good sometime. that you moved past that denial, Chris. Well. <laughs> denial is number one, I say in church security. So it's good to hear that you had it like everyone but else. I, yeah, I had that denial. And so then 
some time went on and I was approached by the pastor and he said, hey, listen, um, we believe money's being stolen from the safes. So what we'd like you to do, if you're willing to do this, find us a new safe, find us new safes for both campuses. And um, if you could help us develop some procedures around those safe. And so I was like, okay. So I did that, wrote up a whole new procedure. Um, since that procedure's been out, the annual auditor that comes to the church I formerly went to, he's actually said, can I have a copy of this to share with churches on his route, right? I'll sell you yeah, one. Is that the... what you said, Chris? I'll sell you one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except, no, I did not. I Like, I absolutely, you know, hand it out. But still, even after that, being thanked by the pastor, new safe, everything's being done the way it's supposed to be, I'm still not there. So then the board comes back to me later and they say, listen, our insurance company is now requiring training for all the volunteers that work with children and we need a good policy and we need a training plan. So I do the same thing, right? I do all the research, I get all this information together, write the policy, I schedule the training. We have, we have people coming in from the county and other subject matter experts giving a presentation to our church, providing the training, all this kind of stuff. Still, I don't get it. <laughs> So then finally, I'm asked, you know, hey, you know, we, we want to ha start having some sort of team. And I did what I recommend to so many other churches. If you're at that very first step, I went out, I found like-minded people. And I said, listen, we're going to start patrolling the grounds before, during, and after. And you have two instructions and two instructions only. Number one, your job is to look for suspicious behavior and or emergencies. And if you see it, you call 911. The other instruction, number two, is don't do anything you haven't been trained to do. And we started there. And I re then I recognized, hey, these people need more training. They need more comprehensive training because they don't know anything. And so I put together the first, the first hint at Sheepdog Church Security Academy was I put together an eight-hour training day. I brought all these guys in, guys and gals, and um, had no selection process. We could talk about that later, <laughs> um, but I brought these people in. I gave them the training and and then it could just kind of start developing from that. You know, it, the word got out. Churches were contacting me and uh, over a period of about 10 years. I, no, I'm sorry, two years. I maybe helped like 10 churches. That was it. Then I had a, a, a deacon, very respectable guy, smart, 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 smart guy. And he came up and he said, listen, you need to turn this into a business. And I was just like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. This is my service to the church. This is my service to God. I'm not going to turn this into this financial thing. And he says, he says, shook his head no. And he's like, no, you don't understand. If you start charging for the for this services, for this training material and stuff like that, it's going to bring you in revenue that can be used to make the materials better. And of course, reach out to people. And uh, many years later, absolutely correct, right? I have 190,000 people on Facebook because I've hired researchers, I've hired writers, I've hired educational designers, I've hired voice talent, I've hired advertisers, I've hired video makers. And it's only possible because there's a cost associated with, with the materials that we provide. And it's interesting you say that because it's very similar how, you know, the Lord hit you over the head a few times there, Chris, to say, hey, this is your calling. And it's similar to me. I think it was 
maybe two years ago. I mean, you know my suspicious behaviour training that I do. I, I have a mm -hmm. workbook that goes alongside it. Um, you know, very nice, well put, um, put together. And I wasn't even selling it on Amazon. I, I'd sell it with my course. Mm -hmm. And then somehow this is a really random, but a guy was on a plane. I think he was going from LA to San Diego. And he sent me a message and said, Simon, he said, I sat next to someone on the plane that was going through your book. Can I can I buy a copy? And I emailed back and said, no, I don't sell the book. And then he came back and said, no, no, I'd really like to, you know, sort of buy the book. And, and then I was then thinking, why am I not selling this book on suspicious <laughs> behavior? And it was really, you know, the God prompting. We look for massive miracles, don't we? These big ind indicators as, as to who is God and what is in our lives. But sometimes there are these just continual knockings of him saying, hey, you know, release that book. And uh, it's now on Amazon and it's, you know, the, the flagship and it's blessing ministries across the US. So I can mm -hmm. relate to what you're saying, but that, that mindset of, but this is a ministry and security is a ministry, but it's also God is saying it's okay to earn money as well because that is what we need to, to, to live off. And I mean, you've definitely been blessing so many ministries. How many people do you think you've touched over the sort of 10 plus years since you've been doing this, Chris? Um, th that's a fair question. So the last time I looked, and it's been a while, we've had over 13,000 enrollments. Now, how many churches does that represent? I don't know because a lot of times what happens with the the pro with the with the two different kind of products, if you will. I wish I had a better word for it. You know, people sign up as individuals, and some sign up as a church. And so, on my end, I see one person, but that one person represents their entire team, the staff, you know, the congregation. So how many people have I touched? Well, I for one, I want to re-say that. How many people has God used me to reach with safety and security? Thousands easily. Yeah, it's it's impressive. It really is. And so, you know, you talk to a lot of churches across the country, uh, and maybe even across the world. I've never actually um, asked you that. But what what are some of the biggest challenges, or maybe what, what's the consistent? challenge that houses of worship or individuals are perhaps coming to you saying, how do we overcome this problem? Yeah, so it, it really depends. Um, a lot of, something I hear a great deal, I hear two things probably primarily. The first thing that I hear on a regular basis is, is from the individual that maybe represents a small group of like-minded people at their congregation, at their church. And it's like, how do we even convince our church and our leaders that this is a worthy effort. That's that's a big part. That's a hurdle to overcome because safety ministries aren't like the ushers in the choir. These are so ingrained in the DNA of American churches. Um, you don't even have to talk about it, right? I mean, if we started, you and I started a church tomorrow, we would talk about ushers in a choir yes. like that quick. But uh, what about safety? A safety ministry is a relatively new idea to American Christians more than anybody else because um, I don't want to use the term spoiled, but we're so accustomed to the strength of our military that keeps us safe and the strength of law enforcement, which has its issues. I'm not trying to make a statement here, but for the most part, a great number of people in this country live in relative peace without a great deal of fear. So when you start talking about safety ministries and you start to talk to them about the number of crimes that actually occur in, within the church and to the church, it's like you, you have to overcome this denial. So that's, that's one 
That's one thing. And, and the solution to that is a slow walk. <laughs> Bring them Absolutely. to where they are. Yeah. Um, oftentimes I talk about the importance of maybe just starting out with a medical response team or starting with fire safety for the children's ministry because you'd have to almost be crazy to say, oh, we're not gonna do that. Um, and so those are easy sells. And then from there, you can grow, take one step at a time. The other thing that I hear a great deal, and it's really the reason Sheepdog Church Security Academy exists, is that is training. So I heard one time, and I think it was John C. Maxwell. He's a Christian <laughs> leader, taught, teaches leadership. And he talks about how leading volunteers is the hardest job in the world because, um, you know, there's not, it's not transaction. You're not giving them money. You're not giving them things. Leading a volunteer means you're creating in them or they have an intrinsic need to serve and do something. And because that can be very difficult and not everyone can pull that off or it, it takes lots of time and training is getting people together for training is the hardest thing in the world. To get them all into one room on one day on a specific time to go through the training is very difficult. You always have onesies and twosies that don't make it. And then what do you do about them? And as your training program grows because of the demands of the safety ministry, how do you then, you got to get together, you know, for first aid CPR certification, then you need to make it to the range for qualification. And then you need to get together for unarmed self-defense. And and those are some things I just mentioned that actually require, absolutely man, make it mandatory for you to be in the same room at the same time. And then you have your onesie twosies miss it. And that's not even talking about the basic knowledge, you know, having that foundation that's laid. And so the, the real nut to crack here is how do we ensure that everybody on the safety team and beyond that, high capacity volunteers from other ministries and staff get the training they need to have a functional safety ministry. And so that's why what we do is we train in multiple modes. And we recently, the reason you talked, I talked about our name change to Academy, adding Academy to it, is that we've now combined all of those different modes. So if a church signs up for our safety, um, a safety member, team certification, they get to train online training events with me. Um, every other Sunday, basically, I lead on one of the modules, lead discussion, question and answers, or they can have church hosted training because they have the exact same videos I use to lead the Sunday training. So they can schedule it at their own time, own pace. They can do it in person or online on their own, show the materials, same videos, lead discussion, do it themselves. And then finally, we offer people a chance to train on their own time and own computer. So now they can't make it with me every other Sunday. They can't make it to your church, church hosted training. Now they can train on their own time and own computer. And we combine this into one package. And so the idea, or at least what I feel God has called me to do is this, is this is the training that lays that foundation and gets everybody on the same sheet of music, if you will, and a basic understanding that's easily then built upon with going to the range, getting your first aid CPR training, 
doing your unarmed self-defense or whatnot. So I, I guess I kind of ran off. <laughs> no, no, and, and that's good because it is true. And I was going to tell you actually only yesterday, I'll, I'll, I'll respond to both your statements actually, Mary Chris, you know me. <laughs> only yesterday I spoke to Frank Pomeroy from First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs. Uh, I mean, Frank had been talking back and forth for a couple of years and I reached out to him last week and said, Frank, we need to get this conversation down. Uh, so, so we recorded literally uh, yesterday. Uh, and one of the things that Frank says about the tragic incident at his church, where I think 20, I'm terrible on my math, but I think 22 people were killed, 26 seriously injured, could be the opposite way around. You know, he said that he had denial of danger. Um, you know, and that's one of the reasons why he advocates now about needing safety and security. The day before it happened, he was at a sort of a, a pastor function and someone asked him, said, Frank, hey, do you ever worry about crime or violence or safety at your church and frank said we're a small church in texas you know mm. what's ever going to happen to us the following day tragedy struck you know and obviously god's using him in a certain way so that, you know for anyone listening the denial of danger is real it might not be to you as the listener but denial of danger in the church is definitely real so it's um i asked his advice as to what would you suggest and he said get them to ring me so i'm going to say this on this podcast ring frank pomeroy from the first baptist church <laughs> in southern springs but an alternative is most probably have a series of conversations like you said you've got to know that this is a journey uh one thing I focus quite a lot on is around security culture, understand where your ministry teams are and try and walk alongside them because uh, us coming in, as we say in England, like a bull in a china shop, it's only going to end in pain for them and for you as well. So yeah. And well, Chris, in the short time we, we had together, it's been really good to hear a little bit about you as to how Sheepdog got started, how you came to faith. Right, and Chris, I just want to end on a bit of a story for our listeners to make sure that they know that, it, that it's clear here. But me and Chris are actually in the same room together recording this podcast. And Chris lives around 10, 15 miles from me. And here is the ironic thing he mentioned earlier about being called into security ministry. You know, I was a detective in the UK, emigrated here to the US. Um, I was actually working at Mall of America in Minnesota where I was talking to people from the NHL, NBA, you know, uh, football, the MLS, all these different sort of sports elite, if you like, here in the US. I was at a conference at Disney. And then a police officer friend said to me, can you come and talk to this church on safety and security? And I was like, what, on my way back from this conference? He said, yeah, please, I think they need your help. Uh, and I went there that one Wednesday evening and I learned two things, Chris, is that one, the church needed help around risk management uh, and two, the Lord was calling me into security ministry. Uh, and the third thing is, for me, it's no coincidence that we live 15 miles from, from each other. We've gone on to become friends, have a very similar mindset and, and mission. And so the Lord works in, in mysterious ways. Mm -hmm. and, but I wouldn't be doing what I was doing now if I had it, my, my path hadn't led me to here to Minnesota. So it's really interesting hearing your journey as to talking about the pioneers of church security, how close that we live in, in proximity. So thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your mentorship. Um, and keep being the protector of the people and the guardian of the church. So Chris, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun, as always. Thank you for listening to the Church Security Made Simple podcast. If you're looking for training on how to keep you and your church community safe, or if you're interested in working with me on my five-week group coaching program, please head over to worshipsecurity.org. 
And if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening. Now, I'll be back with you on the next episode. But until then, stay safe, have a blessed day. And remember, always plan, prepare and protect your ministry. Thank you.